Welcome to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. Excited to have you here for another episode where we give you the best practices that you can actually have for your practice. And I want to thank everybody again for sharing the podcast with their friends and colleagues and helping us grow this podcast. I think we're another 120 some odd episodes in. And today's going to be a special one because we're actually going to be talking about some fun stuff. Uh, for those of, you, those of you that don't know, I might have mentioned it on one of the podcasts uh, out of all these podcasts, that for a short little time in my life. I actually tried stand-up comedy. I was in LA. I wanted to be a stand-up comedy. I didn't want to really be a stand-up comedian. I just wanted to have the experience of being on stage and doing comedy. And I thought it was kind of funny. So I figured I might try it. It was a great experience. Lots of fun. I got to poke fun at my mother-in-law and who doesn't love to do that. Uh, and today we're going to go down that path a little bit with our special guest, Blaine Landberg. Now, Blaine came up to me after I spoke at an event and said, hey, so uh, I'm a little different. I'm a, a dentist and orthodontist who actually does stand-up comedy. And I had actually never heard that before. So great, exciting, uh, exciting time to talk to him. So everybody, please make sure you uh, take notes, pay attention, and let's have some fun. Welcome Blaine Landberg to the show. Blaine, welcome. Thanks, Dino. Great to be here. I appreciate the time yeah. to talk to you. Absolutely. So I'm going to hold up your book first right here. Uh, for those of you that are watching on, on, on YouTube, if we've got oh, my camera is being all weird because it's looking for my face. There we go. That's better. The Journey of a Jubu is what the book is called. It was an American Fiction Awards winner and uh, available on Amazon, correct? Mm -hmm. And so tell us the story of, well, first of all, tell us your story of being a tooth straightener, as you call yourself. And, yes. and then we'll get into the story of how did that turn into stand-up comedy? So I'd like to introduce myself as an orthodontist by day and then a comedian and an author at night. Um, I've always had a funny dual personality in that even in college, I was a math major and an English minor. So I enjoyed like the problem solving aspects of, uh, of math and, you know, um, business and that aspect. And then on the side, I always love to read books and I just love a great story. Even before Netflix and binging was a thing, like I would watch a lot of TV binge. <laughs> in the eighties. Um, so uh, when I was in dental school, as you can imagine, and some of your listeners I'm sure can relate um, in professional schools, my time was so consumed with, you know, classes during the day and then, um, doing patient, getting ready for clinic at night and patients and my patient presentation and speaking. And um, when I graduated, I found I had so much more free time. I was 30 years old before I had a real job. Wow. And um, I wanted, you know, more outlets because uh, school is intense, like dental school and orthodontic is, um, you know, I try on the weekends to unwind, but it was t full con consuming. So when I finished, I was getting more into TV shows and the show Lost was really, was popular 24. Yeah. And, um, but I wanted to do more than just consume entertainment. I felt like I could produce some. I felt like I had some stories brewing within me. So I began to take, um, and my wife would go to bed moderately early and I'd be used to staying up till 12 in the morning. So I was kind of a night owl. So after she would go to bed, pre-kids, I would, um, I would write. So I actually wrote two screenplays, which was, a, they were a lot of fun, 
but it's you know as you that's a tough industry to kind of break yeah. into so i tried to network and i also was beginning to you know have a little bit of a harder time with um the balance between you know work and a husband and then being the dad now of three girls at the time the girls were coming one at a time and um i began to have a little bit of like mind body dysfunction like sometimes some nervous twitches and um oh, interesting. Feeling a lot of, yeah feeling a lot of anxiety and i kind of delved into that you know um some online searches did the whole physical thing making sure i didn't have any kind of th things going neurological on. problems or anything exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah so once i kind of eliminated that um i didn't have deeper neurological problems i began to think hey i've got to get my mind more set so i started um learning about meditation, learning mm. about um, sort of different religions and like where they intersected. I call it the Venn diagram sure. of religion, that there must be a truth to that. And um, just kind of going through my own journey, I thought, you know what, I want to kind of document it, but not fully. So that's when I started my book called Journey of a Jubu. Um, Jubu stands for Jewish Buddhist. So that was my foray. I, I, pitch it as you know larry david meets the buddha so my comedic <laughs> take of um of learning of a neurotic jewish dentist searching for inner peace you That's don't see you don't seem as grumpy as larry david so that there's uh, yeah, that, and it's it's true that's like my alter alter ego so yeah right right i like to um kind of you know have these characters and make it like funny and laughable yeah and then um so that's sort of the writing part and then the comedy part came as um it's another way to tell a story in my town there's a woman who does comedy classes and mm. people were kind of encouraging me to do that as another outlet um and that became a lot of fun so i took a couple of those classes and then got the confidence up enough to to do more gigs um and to kind of some of my friends were producing some shows so uh and that's how i actually came up to you afterwards because you were really great and uh you had a natural stage presence and i mm -hmm. thought I, I could tell he's done some entertaining in addition to you know oh the yeah content, the content you were you're telling us about so oh yeah that's that's my world i love that stage um where, by the way i don't even know where do you live I'm in a town called Ridgefield, Connecticut. So okay. it's a suburb about an hour, hour, 15 minutes from New York City. Okay, cool. Yeah, Very right. good. So so you get to go in and drive into New York and maybe go see some of those clubs out there too. That's uh, right. what, let me ask you, why did you get into orthodontics? What was the journey there? Was that just that kind of family thing? Was it something you've always wanted to do? Um, so when I was in college, I kind of had a midlife crisis when I was <laughs> 20, 21. I, I was, as I said, a math major and an English uh -huh. minor. And I always thought I would go into um, business. That was sort of a big thing. I went to Union College and um, I ended up not interviewing very well at all. When I, at the time, Anderson Consulting was a big company that would come to college. So I interviewed at Anderson Consulting and a couple of others. And I would get nervous and sweat. It was weird. It was almost like a subconscious reaction. And um, I didn't get any business offers. I got to second rounds and things like that. And I thought, I really need to regroup. You know, something is not really clicking with me and what I thought I would be doing. Yeah. So I ended up thinking, huh, maybe something in the healthcare suited me more. So I began to research fields in medicine and dentistry. 
And then all of a sudden it clicked for me that orthodontics was, you know, you could use your problem solving skills. You could use people skills. You had to be good at communication. You had to be good at running a business, you know, your mm -hmm. practice. Yeah. And, and also problem solving, you know, moving teeth is a sure. uh, problem in the four dimensions. Not a lot just of math going on. Yeah. Yeah. So it, uh, so I ended up, it was funny. Once I told people I was thinking about it, they were like, you know, you kind of look like a dentist. <laughs> I got that a lot. Uh, what does that mean? Oh, that. Well, yeah. what's interesting is the first thing that pops in my head about that is, you know, as an orthodontist, especially, and I, I know it happens in dentistry too, but, you know, really is a lot of, there are a lot of challenges when it comes to perfectionism because you're dealing with millimeters, right? And it's like, oh, that could be just a little bit more. And I could bring that out or widen that or straighten that. When it comes to being on stage, and especially in comedy, especially in comedy clubs, there's there's not a lot of perfectionism that actually can happen. Now you want to make sure you're hitting those that timing correctly, but there yeah. are so many variables when you got people talking to you and hecklers or stage that might goes out, whatever. How how much anxiety does that bring up for you when you think about it? A very good, very good point. Yeah. I um it's funny, I do sometimes struggle with that because I'm a big, as you know, when I do cases in my in my practice i'm a big outline everything i have gotta to be set yeah totally i and i talk to my staff a lot like pretend you're the patient we work in millimeters you have to keep the workspace clean you know it's a constant yep. just going over our our checks and balances so on stage you're right like i outline things i have them on note cards and that i'm i'm getting to that jump. So I'm, I'm better. I mean, I've, like you said, I want to hit my points yeah. and sometimes I do beat myself up and get mad if like I miss part of the joke, but I realize, or, um, you know what, it didn't matter. You know, you're getting laughs and, and I will go back and just like, I'll review a case afterwards. I will review my comedy, you know, tape it. And I'll be like, wait, that joke didn't even a hundred percent make sense. But if you're engaged with people and they, they like you, yep. they want to laugh you'll still get the laugh. So I've, I've learned there, there is some wiggle room, but sometimes it, it is frustrating when, you know, I'm not it, as perfect as I want to be, but, but it yeah, actually yeah, makes so. me, it actually makes me think I should tell more of my doctor clients to take like an improv class or a stand up comedy class, just to get out of that knowing of you have, it's like being on a tightrope. You have no, you need perfection, but you have no idea when the wind's coming. You have no idea when your balance is going to be off for a second, a bird flies in your face. Like yeah. that's what it's like doing stand up in that world. So let's talk about this transition from uh, getting more into that centered. I love that you were actually self-aware enough to, to kind of think, all right, something's happening with my body physically. And so therefore I want to research that and find out what's up, find out if it's a neurological problem. It made me think of uh, the book thrive from uh, Ariana Huffington. And that book starts with her, waking up on the floor in her office and uh, blood coming from her head and her thinking what everybody would normally think is, Oh my gosh, something must be wrong with me physically. So mm -hmm. I got to go to every doctor and go get all the tests done and stuff and come to find out it wasn't anything actually physical. It was, she was too tired. She hadn't taken care of herself. She was too stressed and overwhelmed in the anxiety I think a lot of doctors probably suffer from that without knowing. And we immediately go to there's something wrong physically or even neurologically, but sometimes I guess it would be a neurological side of it of, all right, what if I just had more peace in my life? 
What if I was able to take some time for me? What if I was able to just not let that thing, not uh, me not care about that thing as much as I am? So let's talk about that journey a little bit for you. Uh, the the reveal of the Buddhism, reveal of the peace and the inner peace that you found. So I do talk about that in the book, you know, within the characters, I say a lot of that does mirror my life in the book. Um, the One of the characters sees a Buddhist uh, coffee table book when he's out shopping. And I, I did have a similar experience and I really connected with it. Uh, for me, if you don't know the story, Siddhartha was the um, this prince uh, back in you know ancient times, and uh, so over what it was like two thousand years before um, before Jesus was even born. So in he was born, and his father was going to you know give him all the riches, and he was going to inherit the kingdom. And he felt like anxiety and not peace. And even though he was had all these riches. Um, he said to his dad, I don't know if I want it. Like, this is not making me happy. Then he, you know, tried to get him married, have gave him all the choices of the women in the kingdom. And he still wasn't happy. He finally got married, had a kid. And um, he ended up leaving the whole kingdom and kind of in search of this inner peace and this happiness. And I thought, my goodness, like if this this prince at the time, famous prince, had it all. If he couldn't be happy, oh my God, how do I? Yeah, right. Um, and his story was he unlocked what he called nirvana, sort of the, the inner mm. peace. And he ended up going from the riches of the kingdom to actually like starving himself and living with the poor to he ended up discovering sort of the middle pathway. <laughs> And which I thought that's really cool, the middle pathway. And I really related to that because, you know, you're never going to have as much as you want, but still, I don't think it's right to like, you know, eschew everything and say, I don't want everything. That's not a realistic way to live, especially sure. with, a, you know, a wife and family. I, I don't sure. want to leave my family and, and go to a Buddhist monastery. Um, so I thought, you know, there's the, like the middle way. I, I read a lot of different um, spiritual books even books like 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Um, there's a, gets a little bit more out there, but um, like Brian Weiss writes a really good book, Many Lives, Many Masters. So just sort of like listening to the universe, like listening to your, your body. Um, and I really connected with that. And I started journaling a lot more, you know, writing more. Um, and I felt a little bit more in balance. Yeah. Mm. Just trying to, trying to say and listen sometimes my wife sometimes jokes with me you know you're a bad buddhist when i'm um fixating on things or frustrated you know, or obsessing over something sure yeah that happened at the office and and not letting it go so um as i tell her i'm a jewish buddhist a jubu so i'm i'm you still gotta be have that neuroticism in it there's got to be yeah. a little neurotic there um exactly. i love that you said imbalance like that's a very interesting way to put it that you're in balance as opposed to balancing. I've always struggled with that idea of balancing in the sense of like work-life balance, stuff like that, because it seems like a lot of work. It seems exhausting. I always picture those guys in the circus who get on the cylinder and balance on the cylinder and then climb the chairs and balancing on the cylinder and they're working the entire time. And it just seems so exhausting, but in balance is a really interesting way to put it. 
I'm I'm in balance. I'm not balancing. I know for me, that just makes it a little bit different. So very fascinating. All right. Tell me some of the struggles that you've had with this trying to, like you just mentioned and alluded to your wife of trying to be more in the Zen Buddhist space and yet living in the real world, living in a space where maybe other people around you aren't living as Zen and Buddhist as you are. And so how do you deal with that? I think my biggest struggle struggle is control, you know, like mm. what I can control and then sometimes what gets out of control. And, uh, and in a way, you know, the practice is actually a really good um, sort of living example. So, I, you know, I don't consider myself super religious and even you, cause it can turn people off talking about like God or a higher power. So I'm sure. a big believer, like we all have our own journeys and, um, you know, whatever it is, that special energy is inside of us. And it's up to each of us to kind of find that to be the best person we can be. Mm. Um, so I would say a couple of things, you know, just controlling things. Sometimes, you know, you come in and even like literally yesterday, I hired a new assistant. I'm super excited to have her. And she tells me uh, I have a, a year and a half until I go to dental school. But then she tells me, well, I wasn't 100 percent accurate because I literally just found out over lunch I got into the one dental school I applied and I didn't think I was going to so you know there goes now a new search right so it's frustrating um but I do think you know kind of learning from other people and learning from what I consider like the people who really became enlightened you know whether it's the Buddha or Jesus or Moses or or Muhammad I consider the or Mother Teresa the people who really you know, there's certain themes that they, they always repeat, right. Which is like love and things are constantly changing. That's the one thing that I really connected with in Mm. Buddhism is, you know, nothing is permanent. And I think running your orthodontic practice, I'm sure you see it. with It's such a great example. Like, okay, you know, I had a great team. We're we're now going to have to lose a little piece of that. And, uh, and then we'll have to build it back up. So it is tiring. It can be frustrating. Um, and sometimes I'm not the greatest with dealing with change, but I feel like, you know what, it's really good life lessons to, to continue to. to That's awesome. Yeah. How are, how are you besides comedy? Are you doing, are you speaking about this at uh dental and ortho events? How are you getting that word out there? Cause I really do think it's one of those things where many people know it. Right. There's nobody that you're going to talk to when if you're to say, hey, do you realize that this is causing you more stress than is necessary or need to find more ways to have peace? I don't think anybody's out there going like, oh, this is news to me. This is fascinating. But that's the practice of it that makes it more challenging. Right. So which I would love to get into in just a moment of like, what are some specific things? But are you taking this message out to the world besides the stand up comedy? Not yet. I actually think that may be my next step in life. Yeah. I, I, w- I would even love to collaborate, you know, with you and chat about that more because yeah. um, it's funny because, you know, I have the book. It actually just came out as an audio book literally last week. So I'm, oh, super, wow. I'm excited to promote that. Yeah. Um, but I haven't taken the next step of being sort of a teacher of it. I feel like I've consumed it and been a student for a while. And I and and I would love to and it's funny you mentioned that because I feel like I've been getting now a little bit more of opportunities 
to speak about it and get some platforms, but yep. I haven't yet. It's been, you know, again, we talk about um, it's been tough, you know, running my business and, and balancing that with the home life and with um, the comedy sort of an extra bonus for me, but I would love to, and I'm not afraid of speaking in front of people. So I would love to kind of use, yeah. And the platform for my book inter intertwined. So I don't know where to go with it yet. To be completely I, honest with you, I I, I think it, it would be great. I think you need to put yourself out there uh, at the time of this recording. Actually, today is the last day. Um, AAO is accepting applications for 2029 or 24. Um, you should put yourself out there to apply to speak at all those, the especially the industry events. Listen, I think there's definitely some credibility of you being able to say, number one, I'm one of you. I'm an orthodontist. Here's where I was. Here's what I found. And this is now what I'm doing. Like having that type of structure for some sort of speech is something a lot of people know. Yes, we need to know the clinical stuff. Yes, we need to know the business side of things. But you have the credibility to doing that. Writing a book alone, if anybody's ever tried to write a book or sat down to write a book, they know like there's some real discipline in doing so. And uh, having that book alone, is is a huge credibility piece. Then adding that on top of being orthodontist and doing the standup. I mean, I bet you could do a killer uh, speech that would just make people laughing and enjoying themselves and realizing, and plus with lessons. As you saw with what I do is my whole thing is the edutainment part of it, right? I want to have a lot of yeah. fun because it's going to spark your brain when we're laughing, we're learning, but also add the message in there. Not overwhelming message, but three, four bullet points that make people go, oh, wow, I never thought about it that way. Uh, so that'd be great. I'd love to hear about a little bit of your routine about uh, how do you keep it front of mind? Are you, do you have a regimen or routine that you do to try to really keep that practice of peace happening for you? So are you meaning daily routine as far as yeah, um, daily, even weekly, but yeah, daily, like what, what do you, how do you keep it top of mind? Um, meaning the orthodontics, the comedy or just the comedy, the, the peace of mind, oh. the comedy part. Yeah. Bringing that because our lives are so chaotic, right? Everything's trying to t pull us to chaos, I think on a continual basis. So how are, are, are there, and maybe there aren't any routines that you do. Um, I would say there, are, you know, obviously I'm not a big wake up early kind of guy. I am more of a night owl. Well, cause you're up till one in the morning. So a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes with the shows, uh, so I do, I feel like a couple of things keep me a little bit more sane. So I do like to work out, you know, I'm a, I'm a runner. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a, you know, still a consumer of entertainment. So I usually have a show kind of mm -hmm. that I'm watching. Um, sometimes my wife will, and I will kind of lock into a show together. Or I'll go downstairs to the man cave and yeah. do a show on my own. We kind of both are good about that. We will be together, but we also unwind separately, yeah. which I think is, is healthy. Um, and then I, it, and I have to admit sometimes I'm better than others, but it, when I will try and take out a, a notebook and write some jokes, um, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you an example. Even speaking of running, if something funny happens to me that I feel like I can relate to, I will write it down. And even for running, I joked um, the Turkey trot, you know, the, 5k in town yeah. so i i made a, a new joke there where i ran the turkey trot and people say they're slow but i say it and mean it you know i'm being there and i was running really hard and my wife's cousin who thought who told me oh i'm slow too 
like passes me like while he's running <laughs> backwards like oh you really are slow i thought you were joking yeah. and uh all of a sudden we finished the first lap and i'm like oh my god thank god i ran that faster than i thought and the announcer's like congratulations you're halfway through one lap to go <laughs> and then by the end i'm being passed by you know literally the fourth the fourth grade um girls basketball team you know, <laughs> sure. grand granddad's walking their grandkids and a three-legged dog so i so things like that like i will yeah. write down and kind of keep my routine fresh i have my old old you know sort of my classics that i know work and um so and you do a lot of, yeah like you're just observing a lot of the things that are happening in your own life. How does, uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens in ortho offices. Do you ever bring in any of that into your comedy too? When it comes to, you know, I, I'll give you an example. I, I used to years and years and years ago, I used to be a makeup artist in Hollywood. That's uh, I did a lot of in that realm. And I used to talk about how, you know, I'm a makeup artist, not a plastic surgeon and people come in asking you to do this stuff. I'm like, I, I yeah. can only work with what I got. Like I, it's not magic. Uh, there's a lot of people I know that have demands. There's staff issues, challenges that pop up. Do you use any of that in your comedy as well? Um, I'm not fully like I haven't given myself a hundred percent permission to delve uh, into that fully, but I'm I'm dipping my toes a little bit. I mean, I do. My opening joke is, um, you know, is that I'm a, I'm a, I. This is what you need to know about me. I live with my wife my three daughters. I work with eight women at my orthodontic office. You know, if you're slow on the math, that's 12. It's like a course in estrogen immersion therapy. No. And, um, you know, so I do, I do kind of funny things like that. Um, oh my gosh. It's so yeah. true. They're all on the, when they all get on their cycles together, it's just a, a, a thrill for me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I warn them that I have PMS tonight. We're this week is bad. So they'll have to be patient if I'm a little cranky. Oh, that's funny. That's great. Yeah. So awesome. I, have a little, I haven't completely, you know, I don't like tease about patients or things like that but i will bring up funny observations you know a patient comes back um who i haven't seen in five years and is like hey dr langberg i see you lost all your hair <laughs> and i'm like hey seymour whose name has been changed for hipaa compliant reasons sure <laughs> you know be careful because one day your jewish afro is going to you know disappear from your head and come on your back like be you know so and obviously that hasn't happened but i take a little bit of humor sure take some fun with that why not hey look yeah. i think people in front people in general i always say this, people are weird we're all weird so to be able to take people and the situations of unawareness some of the funniest comedy for me is is just not only the situational but the true right when people can see themselves and laugh at themselves of like yeah i totally do that right that's what we love yeah. about comedy so much so can what's been the a quick question Dina? sure yeah yeah so this is interesting because I have drawn a little bit of a line, you know, I, people, I've had a number of patients who are, and, you know, parents who've not usually adult patients and also parents who've seen me and they're like, Oh my, you're like, you're different than when you're in the orthodontic office. Like you're not sure. who I expected. And I do have that line. Right. I mean, when you don't want to see your orthodontist, like, um, I guess too silly and funny. So I, I don't know nah, how you feel about that. No it's, way. I think, I yeah. think that, I think if that, the branding of you of being able to do that and be like, no, I am going to be silly and funny. 
Uh, I think the more people know you and are connected with you, the the better. I mean, you look at people who've done that very famously of Dr. You know, Kim Jong, like he's he's done this as a doctor in stand up yeah. comedy. And then uh, I remember and I don't know if it was him, because back when I was in L.A., I used to go to comedy clubs all the time. It was part of Shannon's and my routine of date nights and stuff. And um, I remember seeing a and this is so stereotypical, but. I remember seeing an Asian guy who was a doctor who would stand up on stage. I don't think it was him because he wasn't as outlandish. He was a little more buttoned up, but he was a, a doctor of medicine and mm-hmm. did stand up. I think um, I say this, whether you're doing stand up or not, and this is for anybody listening, I think it's really important for people to know and get to know who you are as a human being, because we buy from people that we are, are connected with and we will be more apt to being a partner in the treatment when we're actually friends and friendly and getting Mm -hmm. to know you. I always find it interesting on people's websites where it's like the about us thing. And it's typically a list of all the places you've gone to school and all the boards you're a member of. No one cares. Like I'm assuming you're a doctor because you have an actual certificate on the wall. You have a website and I'm going to trust that you're a doctor. Yep. Every once in a while, we get those news stories of somebody who is like, they said they're a doctor, but they just printed it off on the internet. But I would rather that get to know me or that about us page be, hey, one thing is, is, you know, Dr. Lambert, he is funny because, or he thinks he's funny enough to be a comedian. So, you know, he's, and, and showing little clips of your comedy. I bet that would really connect with people. I also think that there's a power in you being able to, use again what people already know about themselves or Mm -hmm. their human behavior not in a demeaning way but in a funny way this is the reason why we love stand-up comedians who do uh, marriage stuff because almost all the marriage stuff even if it's there's no one out there talking about there's no stand-up comedies that i know of that are up there talking about their open marriage right they're not Mm -hmm. talking about their polygamous family they're talking about marriage, how we all understand it, because it's the most common thing of like, yep, when my wife does this, I do this, or we react like this and she reacts like that. And and we all can find that truth in it because all comedy, great comedy is based in truth. So how do we act when we go into an appointment? You know, uh, the questions that parents ask that are just ridiculous or kids that ask that are just asinine of like, oh, I'm supposed to brush every day. I thought it was just an annual thing, right? Like. Stuff that help us understand we're all silly. Right. So no, I I think you doing that would be awesome. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I find sometimes um, I get in a little trouble if I, you know, maybe joke too much or kind of that sometimes has shocked me. So I've been like, okay, let me pull back a little bit. Um, Well, think about it this way. This is how the last thing I'd say about that is that, in my opinion, if your comedy is too much about you, then it starts to be not as relatable as yeah. if it's about your life experience that I can understand too. If you were just to just talk about, you know, teeth all the time or how crazy it is that people live their life with a gap in the front and they don't see how terrible that looks or how you're obsessed over it. I mean, that might get to a point of going like, all right, uh, great. That's you. You find that funny, but I don't see that's funny at all. But if you're talking about the realistic way that we all see like, okay, I might be obsessed over your teeth, 
But what are you obsessed? We're all obsessed about something. Some of you are obsessed about my hairline. Some of you are obsessed about, you know, the height or the size or whatever. It just gives us more of a well-rounded conversation. Yeah, that's a good point. In my opinion. Anyways. Yeah. Well, uh, what's the feedback been about your book? I'd like to know, like, how's, how's the reception been about the book and how people are, are reacting to it? You got some great endorsements on the book. Um, yeah, I I think for me, the gift of the book has been the people I've been able to meet along the way and the connections it's given me. Uh, I'll give you two stories, which are, to me, just make it worthwhile. Uh, I submitted it to this website called the readersfavorite.com. And I got this uh, amazing review. This guy really connected with the book. He said, you know what? I can under, I love how when the characters speak, because it's a lot heavy in dialogue, but he said, through their talking, you know, the author's teaching you lessons. So I said, wow, this guy really, and he said, you know, it's like a modern day um, parable where I'm trying to teach you like what I learned about meditation and Mm -hmm. mindfulness, but yet through these funny, goofy Seinfeldian characters. And I said, okay, I have to, um, I want to ask this guy for permission to use some of his quotes for my marketing so I found him on Facebook, um, messaged him. Turns out I was lucky. I was literally on my lunch break. He calls me like from Facebook and uh, he's like, oh, I'd love to chat. I'm free now. And all of a sudden this um, black guy comes on with like these dreadlocks. He's smoking an e-cigarette. He's like, oh, I was like, oh my God, you know, wh- where are you from? He's like, oh, I'm from the Philippines. And he goes, I bet you didn't think I was your demographic. Um, and he's from Africa and he like uh, works in the Philippines now he's in tech. And I said, I'll have to be honest with you. I, you weren't completely my demographic, like, right. you know, usually my, um, and he was younger too. And I, he's, I said, um, you know, usually like my, I wrote it when I was 40, I was like my 40, my mid forties, like midlife crisis buddies, white yeah. Jewish guys like the book. He's like, sure. I, I really connected with it. You know, there's something universal and, and the struggle between, you know, just, um, yep. Between, you know, mind body and, um, and kind of feeling centered and wanting peace. Sure. So I said, this is, uh, this is awesome. So I thought, what a great experience. I got to kind of chat with this guy who yep. I wouldn't, I'm sure I'd be buddies with him, but I, I wouldn't think that he could relate to my journey. And I really, I thought that was awesome. That's yeah. totally my point is that the relatability of this is that, look, you know, this could be, this could be journey of a, a, of a Mobu, right? I'm Mormon Buddhist, right? Like, like it could be, there's so many ways that you can go about this and, and the human experience is the human experience. And that you wrote about this experience that somebody in the Philippines, somebody in Africa, somebody in China can relate to because everybody relates to being overwhelmed, looking for a little more inner peace, uh, having stress, frustration, and quite honestly, not a lot of men are talking about this. So that adds a whole nother layer to it. So you said you had two stories. What's the second one? Um, it was sim- It was a woman. Um, so I have uh, two moms bring their their children to me. And she. Uh, I was telling her about my comedy and I'd given her my book. And yeah, like a month went by and she said, I have to tell you, like, I completely related to the struggle of the character and, you know, between like doing the the housework and then when, um, you know, when my partner comes home, just having to balance that, she goes, I was just cracking up because, and I thought that's really cool. Again, somebody 
not thinking it is my demographic. It was just amazing. And she actually is a big pop culture uh, person. So we always talk about TV shows. So I knew she'd like the pop culture stuff in the book. Nice. But uh, it was cool that you connected to the, you know, just the struggles. And I would say that to me, it's been a little disappointing in that um, it's been hard to get the book out there. Mm. You know, I would say that's probably my one toughest issue is, um, you know, I'm not quitting my day job anytime right. soon, but obviously I have, uh, as you know, a passion for storytelling and for the book. And it's been hard to like get people to, to get it. And uh, it was cool because she was telling me that you should be on the beach reading it and people would walk by and be like, that's a cool cover. What I've never, what is that about? Yeah. So I think I have something there, but it has been a little bit of a bummer to, and people told me this too, you know, it, it's tough. Everybody <laughs> writes a book and wants it out there. And it, it you know, I did self-publish it. Um, so that came with kind of a fun learning experience and struggles. Sure. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I appreciate the platform just chatting with you and trying to get it out there more because I feel like people could connect with it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would highly recommend you you reach out to a lot of podcasts and just and and do more podcasts, create your own podcast. But speaking is going to be the way to get it out there too. Because letting people know stand up's great, but most people are going to come to a stand up club to think they're going to buy a book afterwards, right? So speaking allows you to when people don't have a budget to pay you, hey, but would you like to buy some of my books at, you know, a little more than my cost? Or can we get this out to people? I I have a, a different marketing platform for what I do is I typically give my book out for free because I self-published it too. It's it's not very expensive. It's a business card to me. But to be able to get more and more platforms, more and more virtual events, more and more webinars to put it out there and let people know it's there, that's the way it's going to do it. And I would start doing, and and it, I don't know, do you have, how old is your youngest? Uh, fifth grade, 10 years old. Okay. So uh, you have some little ones in the house that probably understand how to do things like Instagram and TikTok better than you. Yeah. This is great material for a TikTok to talk about. There, There's a whole thing, book talk on TikTok. There's Instagram people that are all around books. I would get out there and just start using that. You know, it's it for me, it's not even a matter of of making money off of the book. It's a matter of getting it out there, right? And letting people know because it's unique, it's a different spin, it's it's fun, it's funny. Um, yeah, I, I think that you have an opportunity to do that for sure. So market the heck out of it. Marketing, marketing, marketing. Do you do you do you promote it in the office in the in the practice? Um, subtly. I mean, we we have the books being shown and um we and then once in a while, somebody will ask, but I don't. I like guess do is it is it in the in the waiting room? Like, hey, yeah. check out Doctor's brand new book or whatever. Is that there? Yeah, yeah, we have it in the reception room where people I, can see it. I might even do some quote cards, like some funny quotes that are in there, like like this is you know from Doctor's book or whatever, and oh. and show that off. But yeah, that that'd be a really fun way to do it. Well, yeah, you've done, this is really fun. You've done a great job with it. It's something that I don't, I, I know a lot of people out there thinking, man, I, I should write a book. And it's hard to get people just to write a, a book, uh, let alone promote it, get it out there, publish it. So congratulations on that. That's really great. Thank you. I think, I mean, you know how it is. I think my advice would be, um, just, you know, make some time. I know it is harder, easier said than done, but sure. even a half hour a day of writing and, uh, Yep. clear your head and 
and just give it give it some time. But and I took a lot of courses. I don't, you know, that's been oh, fun good. for me. I did there's something called the Westport Writers Workshop. Westport is a town near Ridgefield. Mm. So again, they're putting myself out there, meeting like really cool, interesting people and kind of getting the story out. And it took yep. seven years to write. So it wasn't like it was it was overnight. Um, yeah, no, it, I get it. it. Yeah. How, how long did your audio book take to, to record? Uh, so I didn't record it. I actually hired a, okay. I hired a company. Smart. So I, I tried it and I was too monotone. And there's a lot of characters in the book and I yeah. don't do voices very well. Yeah. So it's, I think it's one of these, like you talk in your book, kind of knowing your limitations and knowing what uh-huh. to delegate. So um, I found a company and it was really funny at first I was a little frustrated because they were having like people from the South being like, and my daughter's bat mitzvah. Like, <laughs> okay, you don't pronounce it like that. But we finally found one guy who was uh, Michael Kirby. He was great. He's actually a voice coach at NYU. Uh-huh. And he was really good with the uh, oh, that's with the cool characters. Yeah. So I, I'll tell you, if I ever do an audiobook again, I'm hiring it out. I I I have to joke about how I feel like doing the audiobook took longer than writing the book because really? I was so well, because I was so particular about how I wanted it to sound. And luckily yeah. I have a, a a best friend who has his own recording studio. So I could go in there anytime I want in his house and and oh. do it. So I did it slow going, but yeah, it's yeah. like Geez, because I, I I wouldn't just read it. I'd want to sound like I'm talking to you in a car next to you. And I was so particular about it. I won't do that again. Uh, but yeah, it's great. Well, I got to tell you, uh, Dr. Lambert, it was awesome having you on the show and you sharing your experience with us and hopefully you've inspired some people that, whether it be stand-up, whether it be writing a book, whether it be just doing something just different that's you, that that gives you that inner peace uh, that's what it's all about is finding that other thing. You're not just the orthodontist. You're not having to only do that all day long and, and only focus on that. You're a whole, uh, a well-rounded holistic human being. So yeah. Thank love you. That. Well, yeah. At where, tell me where can everybody get, they get Amazon. Is there any other places that they, they can get the book and find out more about you? Yep. So, um, you can, there is a website journey of a Um, okay. and there, there's a link to Amazon, uh, you could also get it at like bookstore.com or Barnes and Noble. So that's what I learned too. If you go to local bookstores, you don't want it. They don't want to tell them it's on Amazon. So they're actually something called Ingram Sparks, which is yeah. they get through bookstores. So we got it on both platforms. Um, there's a website called amplify.com, which you could get the audiobook on. It yeah. will be on Audible, but not for another month. They, they actually now um, need to kind of get approval and Amazon is behind in that. So um, yeah, I would love for everybody to check it out and tell their friends. And like you said, I mean, I'm happy to speak to um, book clubs and I I, I enjoy, I have a passion for discussing the story and getting it out there. Well, I was going to say like for any of you out there that are organizing any type of study clubs, uh, events, uh, reach out because uh, you know, you're, you always, we want to look for speakers who are also going to be, little different, bring something new and unique to the, to the meeting. And uh, you can reach out also in blainelandberg.com as well. Right. So blainelandberg.com and journey of a Jubu, both of those work well. Uh, yeah. So you can do um the, uh, the email address or brace yourselves.com is my practice email address. Oh, so okay. Cool. Do that. Um, or drlangberg at yahoo.com. Awesome. I'd, be, I'd be fine with. And then, um, yeah, like you said, it's funny because kind of putting myself out there to speak with you was 
a big step and uh-huh. um, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm glad you did. Yeah. Thank I'm glad you. you did. Well, put yourself out there more because people need to hear this and it's a great message. And uh, for those of you listening and and spent this last uh, 50 minutes with us, thank you so much for being here again to the, on the ProPreneur uh, Network. And, and our, our podcast here is all about helping you learn the best practices for your practice. And this is one of those things that I'm really passionate about, finding something that brings you joy, brings you peace, uh, and and helps you be a better practitioner, better uh, team member, if you will. And as always, to find more passion, purpose, and a profit inside of your business. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks again, Dr. Lambert. Thanks, Dino. Pleasure. A lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks so much again for listening to the ProPreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.